Good morning, Journey. Hey, we're going to jump right into Romans chapter 12 today. That's going to be where we are in our study. So go ahead and open your Bibles and pull out your notes from your bulletin or turn on your Journey Church International app. You can follow along from your phone. Everything on the screen will be there for you. We're in week two of a series that we're calling Love Like Jesus. And our goal is to be the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Say, Christian, what exactly are you talking about? If you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, you've prayed these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that earth would would look more like heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that we would be a part of the world looking more like heaven. So the premise for this series in Romans chapter 12 is this. If we want our world to look more like heaven... And we want our lives to look more like Jesus. We have to learn to love like Jesus loves. We have to learn to love like Jesus loves so we can live like Jesus lived. Why? So our world can look more like heaven and our lives can look more like Jesus. Romans chapter 12 has been our roadmap for how to get there. We read through it last week. We're going to be in it today from a little different perspective. So let's jump in. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 13. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and your proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God is distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. It's the exact same verses we read last week, but last week we looked through the lens of the picture of loving like Jesus. That was my goal last week, to give you a picture of how to, lo- how to love like Jesus. What does it look like to love like Jesus? And we said, if we're going to love like Jesus, we got to do three things. We have to get our eyes right. We have to live in view of God's mercy. We have to make decisions in the future based on where we've interacted with Jesus in our past. We said we have to get our minds right, which means we have to keep renewing our mind over and over. It's not a natural thing to do to think like Jesus and to love like Jesus unless we continually renew our mind to do it. And we have to get our life right. When you look at the life of Jesus, if there was ever anyone who lived on earth who didn't need anyone else, it was Jesus. Yet Jesus got his life right by living connected and dependent and committed to others. If you want to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, that means living in relationship and in community with people. So last week we saw the picture of loving like Jesus. This week we're looking at Romans 12 again. But this week we're looking at the purpose of loving like Jesus. Last week was what it looks like. This week is why it's important. You know, maybe you're sitting here today as a Christian or maybe you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian thinking... Why should I live like Jesus? 
What's the big deal? Maybe you believe in Jesus, maybe you don't. Why do I want you to live like Jesus? Why is Romans 12 telling us to live like Jesus? That's the purpose of today. Why is it so important? And what we're going to see in Romans chapter 12, two things that we'll look at today, is the insight and the impact of loving like Jesus. The insight, why we do it. Paul's going to say, I'm telling you to love like Jesus, and here's why, the insight. And then we're going to see the impact. The impact is why it's important. Here's why I'm telling you to live like Jesus, because here's what can happen if you do. Let's look first at the insight. Why should we love like Jesus? Well, here's what we learn from Romans chapter 12. When we become a living sacrifice, our worship becomes a movement rather than a moment. Worship is a movement, not a moment. But Paul said that doesn't happen until we begin to live as living sacrifices. Look at verse, tw- verse 1 of chapter 12 again and get your pen handy if you have one. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Underline those two words, a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and your proper worship. I love when people ask me, Christian, what's your favorite type of worship? When people ask me that question, hey, Christian, what's your favorite type of worship? I always tell them a living sacrifice. And I know that's not what they mean. They're asking me what my favorite type of music is, whether I like fast music or slow music, old music or new music, loud music or soft music. I know what they're asking, but I also know what Jesus said. And Jesus said true worship is not really a style of music. It's a, it's a style of living. It's a style of life that allows you to connect to God and to connect to others. So when people say, what's your favorite worship? I always tell them a living sacrifice because Paul says that true and proper worship is living as a sacrifice. But here's the problem in America. Most of us have never seen a sacrifice offered to a God. Um, It's just not something that happens here. In 2013, I was leading one of our mission teams on a trip to India, and every day we'd leave where we were staying and drive into the villages of India. And every day we'd pass what I would call a statue on the side of the road that had things in front of it that were burning. There was always something on fire at the base of this statue um, all day. And finally, like on the third day, I asked someone, I said, what, like, what is that and what's going on there? And he said, oh, that's one of their gods. Like there's tens of thousands of gods that they worship in India. And he said, that's one of their gods. And he said, every day people will bring sacrifices there. If they're going to the market to sell their bread, they'll bring a loaf of bread and they'll sacrifice it there. They'll light it on fire and it'll burn. If they're selling meat at the market, they'll take their meat there. If they're selling eggs, they'll come and offer some eggs. If they're selling, you know, cloth, they'll come and they'll sacrifice. They'll give it to this God. They'll make a sacrifice to it. And he said, 24 hours a day, there'll be something there burning. I thought, wow, I'd never seen that before, but it makes me understand Romans 12 a little better. Paul's crowd that he was talking to in Romans chapter 12 would have understood what a sacrifice looked like. Many of them would have actually understood what an Old Testament sacrifice looked like. If you've seen a picture of the temple in Old Testament Jerusalem, in front of this massive temple in Old Testament Jerusalem was a massive altar where sacrifices were laid. If you, if you go in and you look just at the altar where sacrifices are made, you see it's massive. You could have sacrificed a herd of cattle on this altar at one time. And we learn in scripture that twice a day, every morning and every evening, the priest would offer a sacrifice. There was constantly a sacrifice that was burning in Jerusalem as an offering, as worship to God. And what Paul's trying to do in Romans chapter 12 too is he's trying to help us upgrade the Old Testament sacrifice with this this new word. 
So Paul's words in Romans 12, 2, very specifically tell us he's looking at an Old Testament sacrifice, but telling us we can do it better if we do it like Jesus. You say, Christian, help me explain that a little bit. Look at verse 2 again. The question that verse 2 answers is this. How do you become a living sacrifice? That is the question. How do you become a living sacrifice? The answer is verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. You say, Christian, how do you know that is telling you how to be a sacrifice? Because of the words that Paul used. In Leviticus chapter 22, God tells the people of Israel what their sacrifices have to look like. And God uses three terms to refer to the sacrifices in the Old Testament that have to be offered. Number one, he said they have to be good. They cannot be broken. They cannot be maimed. If you bring a sacrifice to the altar, it's got to be a good one. Your sacrifices have to be good. We learn in Leviticus chapter 22 that the sacrifices, number two, would have to be pleasing. We actually hear no less than five times that the sacrifice had to be acceptable to God. It had to please God, be pleasing to him. And then thirdly, in Leviticus chapter 22, we're told the sacrifices had to be perfect. More than three times we read the phrase, no blemish. There can't be any blemish on the animals. The sacrifices have to be in perfect condition that you present to God. So the Old Testament sacrifices had to be good, that it be pleasing, that it be perfect. Say, Christian, those words sound familiar. You're right, because Paul says a living sacrifice should be good, should be pleasing, should be perfect. Paul is telling us that a living sacrifice is a better sacrifice. When we compare and contrast the two, the Old Testament sacrifices were momentary, and they were all mortal. I mean, you had to sacrifice, but that sacrifice would only last for a moment. It's why you had to have two a day, because after five or six hours, they would burn out, and you would need another one. Even the ones in India that we witnessed every morning, they'd have to go offer a new one. The sacrifices were momentary, and they were mortal. They always died. They always died. If they didn't die, it wasn't a proper sacrifice. A living sacrifice wasn't momentary. It created movement, and it created a movement that led to the immortal. An Old Testament sacrifice would kill something. A living sacrifice would create a movement that would allow something to attach to the immortal. Jesus, talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, talked about eternal life. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost talked about eternal life. The Apostle Paul, in all the letters he wrote, talked about eternal life. So Paul says a living sacrifice, not only does it not just occur in a moment, but if it works, it helps somebody become immortal. Old Testament sacrifices were life-ending. They always killed something. Something always had to die to worship in the Old Testament. Old Testament sacrifices were life-ending. Living sacrifices, according to the Apostle Paul, are life-giving. In the Old Testament, if worship was happening correctly, something died. In the New Testament, if worship was happening correctly, something was getting life. So Paul helps us see this spiritual fact in Romans chapter 12 that God gives us gifts that give people life. Paul says, here's when you really understand worship. When you understand that what you have been given is actually for somebody else, you are understanding what worship is. Look at verses 3 through 5. Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. By the way, the word grace in verse 3 is gift. So Paul's saying, for the gift given to me, for by the gift given to me, here's my gift to you, I'm teaching you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul said, my gift is to teach you about your gifts, and your gifts are intended to give life to other people. My gift is to teach you about your gifts. Your gifts are to give life to other people. So then Paul lists seven. He said, if your gift is prophesy, man, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. How does prophecy give life to someone? It helps people hear God's word. And God's word is love. God's word is truth. God's word is life. Paul says, if your gift is serving, then serve. Say, how does serving bring life to somebody? It provides assistance for what people need at a particular point in time. Paul said, if if your gift is teaching, then teach. Teaching helps people learn and apply God's word to their life that they might follow him. Paul says, if your gift is encouraging, then encourage. What is encouragement? It helps people overcome fear and discouragement. I love the word encouragement. The word encouragement literally means give courage. A picture of encouragement is you having enough courage that you can loan someone to someone who has none. That's encouragement. I'm going to give you some of my courage. I see that you're afraid I'm not, so you can have some of mine. That's what it means to encourage. It's life-giving. Paul said, if your gift is giving, man, give generously. What does giving do? It shares good things with other people in our life. Paul says, if your gift is leading, help people reach their God-given potential. If you lead anyone in any area of life, hey, dads, your job, if you lead your family, is to help every member of your family reach their God-given potential. Hey, coach, if you're a coach, your job for your team is to help every one of the kids reach their God-given potential. Hey, business owner, your job, if you lead your business, is to help every person at your business reach their God-given potential. You get like if you lead in any area of life, spiritual leadership is helping people reach their God-given potential. Paul says, if your gift is showing mercy, show it cheerfully. The word mercy, I love the word mercy. It means relief through compassion. Often in the New Testament, grace and mercy sound like the exact same word, and they are the exact same word, but from different perspective. Grace is what's shown. Mercy is what's felt. When someone shows you grace, you feel mercy. You say, well, what does mercy feel like? It feels like relief through compassion. The biblical word compassion means to feel what someone else feels. You ever been watching TV and you know maybe a, 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 a sports commercial comes on or you're watching a game and somebody gets injured and you watch somebody some part of their body bend in a way it's not supposed to and then your part of your body hurts in the exact same place that theirs does that's compassion you know you see someone get hit and your head hurts you see someone break their ankle and you grab your that's compassion I in that moment I'm feeling what they feel Paul says, if your gift is showing mercy, you are the person when you feel what someone else is feeling, you step in to give relief through compassion. If that's your job, give it. Paul says, all of our gifts, all of our gifts are for others because when we use them, they give people life. So we look at the insight. What is the purpose of loving like Jesus? Paul says, when we become a living sacrifice, we create a movement rather than a moment with our worship. That's the insight. But look at the impact. This is the part of this message I love. What happens when we love like Jesus? Look at the impact. When we become a living sacrifice, our lives become pleasing to God and they become useful to people. See, when you live as a living sacrifice, your worship is both pleasing to God and it's useful to people. So let me ask you a question about today's worship. Some of you worshiped well today. It was very pleasing to God. Was it useful to anybody? Some of you this week spent time reading the word. That's pleasing to God. Was it useful to anybody? 
Some of you this week spent time in prayer. That's pleasing to God. Was it useful to anyone? You spent time memorizing scripture. That's pleasing to God. Was it useful to anyone? See, true improper worship is both pleasing to God, but it's useful to people. Our lives are useful to others. So Paul talks about what this love looks like in verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So Paul says when the church all works like it's supposed to, it's like a body that all works like it's supposed to. So let me ask you a question. What part of your body are you okay with not functioning properly today? What part of your body is the least important to you? And if it doesn't work, you don't care anymore. Several years ago, I was talking with one of the women in our church who just had undergone a season of very harsh chemotherapy. And I asked her, what are, what are the worst side effects? And she looked at me and she said, Christian, everything. She said, Christian, do you have any idea how much dust gets in your eyes when you don't have eyelashes to blink it away? And I said, no. She said, do you have any idea how much sweat gets in your eyes when you don't have eyebrows to catch it and reroute it? And I said, no. She said, do you know how hard it is to stop your nose from running when you don't have any hair inside your nose? And I said, I have never considered any of those things. And she's a Christian, everything. Like chemotherapy breaks everything. She said, I'm thankful now for things that I didn't even know used to exist on me and in me. And I want all of them to work the right way. So let me ask you again, what part of your body is unimportant to you? Because if you would ask God, God, what person in the church, is it okay for them not to function properly? God would say, none of them. Like, I need all of them. I need every person in the church to function like I have created them to function. That's the only way the body works like it's supposed to work. Everyone has to do what I've created them to do. And having even one person in the church, the person that says, I'm no more important than an eyelash. Guess what? You're pretty important. I'm no more important than an eyebrow. You're pretty important. Say, Christian, I'm no more important than a nose hair. Sounds disgusting until you think about their purpose in life. And you're like, you're pretty important too. Every person in our church is important to the greater body of our church. And that's what Paul's trying to teach us. And Paul is telling us that when our sacrifice lives from the altar, instead of dying on the altar, Paul says people are, people are deeply impacted. It would be easier for our sacrifice to die on the altar. It would be easier to give everything once than to keep giving a little bit day after day after day after day after day after day after day. But Paul says Christianity, true worship, is giving a little bit day after day after day after day. It's a living sacrifice. And it's useful to others and it's impactful to others. Spiritual movement is greater than a spiritual moment. And Paul says, if you don't believe this, look at the secret for motivation. Like if you need to be motivated to become a living sacrifice, Paul says, look at how a living sacrifice feels to the one who's being served. Look at verses 9 and 10. Maybe you just read over these without really looking at how people feel when we serve them as a living sacrifice, but let's look at it again. Paul says in verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. So how does a living sacrifice feel to the one served? Paul said it feels loving. When you are a living sacrifice, the people you're serving, they feel 
love. So our church this Christmas season, like every other Christmas season, has adopted 300 kids in our community through the Coldwater Christmas Tag Project, where as a church, we get to buy gifts for kids for Christmas who won't have any gifts for Christmas. I want you to close your eyes and think about your Christmas, and then I want you to think about a tree with nothing under the tree, maybe not even a tree. I want you to think about a Christmas meal with no food on the table. Those are the families we're serving. But we do something pretty cool. We don't serve the kids directly. We actually have the parents of these families sign up and say, we're not going to be able to buy gifts for our kids this year. So they tell us what their kids want, gifts ranging from $40 to $50 that we then give away. And then two weeks before Christmas, we give those gifts back to the parents. So instead of us showing up as a church to save the day because mom and dad couldn't help, we give the presents to mom and dad and mom and dad get to put them under the tree. And on Christmas morning, the kids have presents from their parents. How do you think that feels to the parents? feels loving. They look at a church, and I, and I think they think, man, I'm grateful that church loves me and wants me to be able to love my kids. You see, when we're living sacrifices, it feels loving to people. How does a living sacrifice feel to the one served? Number two, it, f- it makes them feel as if we're devoted. It makes them feel that, that we're in. It makes them feel that we're a partner. It makes them feel that we care, that we have devotion for them. So I was in Guatemala this week with Pastor Scott getting ready for next year's mission stuff that we're doing. And I was with a pastor from the Midwest this week who, I don't know how he's done it. We didn't get in enough in-depth conversation, but his church oversees and funds two factories in North Korea that feed 12,000 people a day. So think about that. They oversee and they are the primary funding source for these two major factories that are producing enough food to feed 12,000 people every day. A few years ago, he was in North Korea, and he was meeting with some government officials, and he said a high-level senator pushed back from the table during dinner, took off his glasses, and said, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah. And he said, how come the Christians keep showing up? He said, we've told everyone to go away, and all of them do except the Christians, and y'all just keep coming back. Why do you keep showing up? And he said, I kind of push back from the table because you're not allowed to discuss politics or religion, Uh, When you go into North Korea, you leave your passport at the airport. The customs guy keeps it. And if they let you out of the country, they give it back when you leave. So he said, I just told him the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, let me tell you a story. A man was heading out on vacation. He was beaten and robbed. And this person passed by and didn't help. And this person passed by and didn't help. And this person passed by and took care of him. Which one would you say is a good neighbor? And he said, the last one. And he said, that's us. We just want to be good neighbors. Even on the other side of the world, we know things are hard. So we're just trying to be good neighbors. You know what that South Korean... Senator or North Korean senator was saying, he was saying, we feel your devotion. Like we feel your devotion. You're sacrificing for us. We feel your devotion. Why? What does a living sacrifice feel to the one served? Number three, it feels honoring. It feels honoring. It feels special. You feel like you're cared for. Every Sunday morning I get here between 6.30 and 6.45 and almost every Sunday that I pull onto the property, all of our flags are already out along 150 highway and all the way up the driveway, whether it's zero degrees or a hundred degrees, whether it's raining or snowing or sunshine, they're out. And every time I pull off a prior onto 150 highway and I see our flags blowing in the wind, telling the community we're open. Hey, it's game day. We're open for you to come. I feel honored. Like in my spirit, I feel so overwhelmed that somebody's gotten out of bed at six o'clock to come and set them up every Sunday, every Sunday. I have my breath taken away when I see the flags. I feel honored 
When I watch our parking guys, rain, sun, snow, or shine, out there waving at people just to say hi. When I watch our greeters standing outside to open and close the doors. When I see the little signs our communications team has built that just say, you look great today. And and I smile when I see that. I feel honored. It's like, man, there's someone here that cares. You feel honored. So Paul says, when you look at how a living sacrifice feels to one served, it motivates you to serve. And you're thinking, yeah, Christian, I get that, but I'm tired. Like, I get that, but I'm just, you know, I'm kind of worn out right now. I get that, but I don't have a lot of time for that. Like, if I was spiritually on fire, I'd be all in, but I'm not there right now. Well, did you know the, spirit to, the secret to keeping your spiritual fervor is actually serving the Lord? According to the Apostle Paul, the secret to being and staying on fire spiritually is actually serving. Say, Christian, can you prove that with a verse? Yes, I can. Romans 12, 11. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal. Don't run out of energy, but keep your spiritual fervor. How can you do that? Serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. You got to keep your spiritual fervor. How? Keep serving the Lord. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I preached a message And I said, one of the ways really to get healthy is to just start serving again. I believe that with all my heart. I could teach it from the Bible, but I couldn't point to a person and and, and prove it until two days later when I got an email from a mom in our church that proved the point that scripture made. She's a Christian. The last few years, I felt a huge void in my faith. I don't really know how to describe it, but I lost a feeling I had at one point in time. I was doing the whole fake it until you make it thing with my faith, praying it would come back to me. I could witness God's blessings around me and even see when I'd been blessed myself, but never got that feeling that I was missing. And attempts to try to figure out what that feeling was, I thought back to when I felt it. I was on the worship team at our old church. On weeks I wasn't doing that, I was volunteering in the children's ministry. If I wasn't doing that, I was filling in wherever I was needed, hospitality, greeting. Being a mom of four young kids, we didn't think it was very feasible for me to join the worship team in this season we're in right now, but I knew I needed to do something. I've been volunteering now for a few months, and I feel, all capital letters, the presence of God with me again, three exclamation points. I cried pretty much through the entire sermon this week because I again have what I've been praying for for so long. I also find it no coincidence that the first service I've been able to attend lately had so much to do with this truth, quote, unless you do what God's calling you to do, you aren't going to get healthy, unquote. That's exactly what happened to me. The secret of keeping your spiritual fervor is serving the Lord. Say, Christian, I'm tired. I get it. Last Sunday, I preached four messages here. I got up at 3.30 a.m. to catch a flight to Guatemala City, drove to the airport, flew to Atlanta, flew from Atlanta to Guatemala City. We had a four-hour bus ride that became an eight-hour bus ride because there was really bad construction, and then there was a really bad accident. And at the end of this like 19-hour day of travel after a really long Sunday, I was physically exhausted and I was spiritually questioning my purpose. As I laid in bed, I thought, God, what am I doing here? There's nine other pastors that could do this. I'm tired. I've got a church to run. This is crazy. I don't really need to be here. I don't even know how important this is going to be. I could have sent someone else from our church. Like all these things are rolling through my mind as I fall asleep. So Christian, how did you fix that? I got up the next morning and I went to work. I got up the next morning, I had breakfast, and then I started my day by training 200 church planners and their families who are doing ministries in the villages of Guatemala. And you know what happened? As I began to serve, my spiritual fervor began to come back. 
As I sat two little kids, a beautiful little girl named Genesis and a little boy named Jordy on stools beside me because I couldn't speak Spanish. And I had my translator tell them, I need these two kids to tell these workers that their work matters. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight: your work is not in vain. So I had them take turns seeing who could say the loudest, your work matters, your work matters. Because I said, you all need to hear from these young generations that your work matters. Don't quit what you're doing. By the end of our time, the people were saying to each other, your work matters. No, your work matters. Then we're all shouting together, my work matters. And my spiritual fervor began to return. When we left there and we drove to one of the dumps in outside the city of Guatemala, uh, Guatemala City that, that constantly burns 24 hours a day to feed the children who live there because villages of people have moved to the dumps so that their kids can be the first ones into the trash when it's dumped out to scavenge for food or for plastic bottles that they could sell or for glassware that they could take to market and sell. As we fed these kids who would never go to school because generation after generation of their families living at the dump to scavenge, as we served them their only hot meal of the day and kicked the soccer ball around with them, my spiritual fervor began to return. And as we ended the day in one of the hospitals we will serve with a little girl named Saley. They told us when we walked into the room, all these kids have been rescued from mountain villages from either malnutrition or abuse. Don't touch the kids unless they approach you because a lot of them have had bad experiences with adults. So as I stood there with my hand on her crib, listening to our guide tell us what was going on, and then I felt her little hand on mine, and I looked down, and she looked up at me like, will you pick me up? And I looked at our guide, and he said, yeah, it's okay. And I picked her up, and I just held her, and she laughed trying to, I had sunglasses hanging around my neck, and she tried to take my sunglasses off and put them on and take them off and put them on. My spirit was filled, and my spiritual fervor returned. Say, Christian, what did you do to get motivated again? I served. What did you do to feel on mission again? I served. What did you do to forget how tired you were? I served. And by the end of that day, the night before, I fell asleep thinking, why am I here? I went to bed that night thinking, why should I leave? Like, maybe I should just stay here because help is needed here. The secret to keeping your spiritual fervor is serving the Lord. Not just for you, though. Remember the premise of the series. You want your life to look more like Jesus? Yes, serve. But we want our church to look more like heaven. We want our world to look more like heaven. So the personal challenge is this. When every Christian serves, when every Christian in our church serves, our lives look more like Jesus and our church looks more like heaven. When the people in our church are living sacrifices who have true and proper worship, Our lives are both pleasing to God and useful to others at the exact same time. And I know this because the first living sacrifice ever was named Jesus. He was the last dead sacrifice who came back to life. Jesus would say something like this. I died so you might have eternal life. But I came back to life so you could live like I live. I crawled up on the altar and I died for you. So your sins could be forgiven. But three days later, I rose again so your lives would be on purpose. Become a living sacrifice like me. Last week, more than 120 people said, you know what? I'm not that, but I want to be that. Last week, more than 120 people said, I am not yet living a life where I'm engaged in serving others, but I need to be, I'm in. And if you're here today and you considered that last week, but you didn't commit to it, or maybe you're here this week and you weren't here last week at all, but you're saying... If that's what living like Jesus is, I want to do that. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to reach inside your bulletin, and there's a card that says love like Jesus. I want you to pull this out. Everyone in here, pull it out. Even if you filled it out last week, don't fill it out this week, but pull it out because there's someone sitting in your row who wants to pull it out, but they don't want to be the only one. So you will give them courage 
encouragement to pull it out because they won't feel like they're the only one. If you're following along on your app notes right now, you can literally click at the bottom of the link. There's a little blue line that says Love Like Jesus Survey. You can pull this up on your phone and fill it out digitally. It will email us. Last week, 120 people said, I want to love like Jesus. I'm not yet, but I want to. And they filled out this card that says, here's what I'll do. I'm willing to love like Jesus by serving in. And they checked. I asked people to check no more than two of these areas. One would be better. Because here's the deal. You're important. You are important to this church body. You are gifted for this church body. You are useful to this church body. Say, nah, Christian, I'm just an eyelash, man. You can lose an eyelash and not even think about it. Yeah, but what if we lost all the eyelashes? You're useful. Nah, Christian, I'm just, I'm just like an eyebrow. You know, you can rub those off. Yeah, but what if, what if it never came back? You're useful. And we need you. And we would love for you to help our church look more like heaven by giving us a body that functions together, everyone serving everyone. So I'm going to ask you, if you're not doing this yet, to take this step of loving like Jesus and say, all right, I'll help. Fill out your name, check a box or two. Say, oh, Christian, I'm just, I'm going to wait till my spiritual fire comes back and then I'll do it. Your spiritual fire will come back when you do it, according to the apostle Paul. So I'm just not really feeling it right now. I've lost my zeal. Let me tell you how to get your zeal back. Begin to serve. Begin to serve. You can help us and we can help each other. You say, do I have to serve next week? It's Thanksgiving weekend. No, you probably won't even have to serve this year. We're asking you to say, I'm willing. The reality is when everyone in our church serves, there aren't very many people who serve every week unless you're in leadership. Most people serve once every other week or once a month. We just don't have enough roles for everyone to serve all the time. But if you would be willing to say, I'll do my part. I will do my part. I'm not right now, but I'll do my part. Fill this out or complete that little form on your app and let's begin together to be living sacrifices that fill a church with people who look like Jesus and make our church look more like heaven. Would you pray with me?